Well, my name's Jose, if we haven't met, and we are in a series called Resilient Faith. And so we're going to continue all summer long in this series looking at people in the Bible who had a faith that really stuck, a faith that made a difference. And so um, let me just ask you, what season are we in? Summer. It was not a trick question. Thank you for inviting participation. We're in the summer. Okay, that's the season of the weather. The beauty of creation is at least for most places, you experience four seasons. For some places where you live, you only get two, hot and cold. But we have summer that leads to fall, that leads to spring, that leads to summer again. And the natural order is there are seasons. And so right now, how many would say that this is the best season of Oregon? For those of you who don't think so, you have a problem. Because this is the best season, okay? We have the sunshine and it's normally warm. Um, But seasons are also a part of the life rhythm. And so let me ask a question you don't have to answer out loud. What season are you in as a person? Uh, You might be in the high point of a life, like what I would call summer's the best season for me. That may be your experience right now, but some of you feel like you're in winter and it's dark and cloudy and rainy. In other words, life is hard. What season are you in in your own mind and in your own soul? This actually, this actually matters, and I'm going to suggest this. We're going to look at the Bible today. The reason that we look at the Bible all of the time is because in the Bible, we see how God brings people from one season of life into another season of life, into another season of life, how God, how he interacts with us throughout all of life, when we're young to when we're old. And we're going to look at someone today, Hannah, who might seem insignificant to many of us when we read it, but she's pivotal to what God was going to do to bring freedom to his people. So uh, first and foremost, the series is called Resilient Faith, but many are new each week. Let me define it. What is resilient faith? Resilient faith is a posture. It's a posture of the mind and the heart and soul to remain steadfast in following Jesus in a culture that's in opposition to that pursuit. What we're talking about this summer is what would it look like to have a faith that is committed to Jesus when other people aren't? That's committed to the word of God when other people are not even thinking about it. And what we're doing is we're living in a world that's increasingly not thinking about following Jesus, yet here we are. What can we learn from people who've walked before us? So the goal is every week to look at someone from the first part of the Bible and, and see where their faith mattered. So we looked at Noah, and we looked at Abraham, and we looked at Joseph, and we looked at Moses. And so far we've seen this trail of people who live faithful in a community and in a world that wasn't living faithful to God. And because of their life and God's faithfulness to them, we could see how that fits in our own soul. Well, if you know the Bible... God used uh, Moses to bring his people out of slavery in Egypt to the land that he had promised. And it wasn't just about land. It was about living in a place where God is in charge and his people are really growing and flourishing and loving one another. And Moses gets them to the end of the land. Joshua is raised up and Joshua leads them into the land. And then what happens after? Well, who's going to follow after Joshua? Well, God raised up judges 
there were people, men and women, who were raised up, and in every generation where people were struggling, God raised up a leader. Where people were struggling, he raised up another leader. But what you see in the book of Judges, if you've ever read it, I, read it, I don't recommend you read Judges to your kids before they go to bed. I, I just, it's the Bible, but it's not, you probably shouldn't read it as a bedtime story. Because it is the cycle of how life spirals out of control. If you read Judges carefully, you realize God is faithful, but people go further from God. And then God raises another person, and they're faithful, but then they, they get worse in the way they think and they live, and they, the way they follow God becomes looser and looser and looser. Until the end of the book of Judges, you have this line, and it summarizes the whole book. In those days, Israel, God's people, had no king. Everybody did as they saw fit. So the storyline is helpful for us. This is a side note. Judges reminds us that this whole idea of progress is an idea not based in reality. Over time, by the way, things do not get better. Just like, give it more time, it will get better. Not true. Now, it could be true, but that's actually not always true. As a matter of fact, the Bible reminds us, over time, if we ignore God... Things get worse. And that's not God's heart. That's not God's plan. And if we cry out to God, he will raise up voices. He will raise up the Bible into our life so that we get back on track. But progress isn't just eventual. We need an encounter with the living God. Well, so you have all of these people, and now there's going to be a pivot, a transition. Next week, we're going to look at Ruth. Ruth happens during the time of the judges, so we'll look at that next week. But what happens next in Israel's history is interesting. They go from these judges to kings. Now you say, why the history lesson? God had always intended to send his son to save the world. And the way God is going to send his son into the world is through these kings. It's a picture of what it would look like if God were our king. And when the kings realize that they fail, Jesus is going to be the faithful king. And the faithful king is going to lay down his life and give it as a ransom for many. So what you may not realize when you're reading the Bible is it's all pointing towards the coming of Jesus. Now, the kings, what's going to bring life in God's people from these judges who are flawed to a king, it's going to be a lady. And the pivot point in the Bible is God is going to raise up one woman who is going to live faithful to God, and God's going to use her to give birth to a son whose name is Samuel, and then Samuel's going to be raised up as a man of God. And when, when God is ready to appoint Saul to be a king, Samuel is going to anoint him and say, God says, this is, this is the man. And when David is ready to be raised up as a king, God's going to use the same person, Samuel, to say, this is the one who's to be Israel's king. Again, it's not about these people in the big picture now that we have the whole Bible. It's really about the coming of Jesus. So it's not a stretch to say, if we want to see Jesus come into the world, God's going to raise up someone. And in this case, we're going to look at Hannah, and how one person can make all the difference in the changing of seasons. Just like summer turns to fall and something happens to turn the weather in that direction, God raises up one woman who's faithful and he's going to turn the direction of his entire people. And this is going to have everything to do 
with life right now that we're experiencing. Just give it some time. First, let's read the Bible. First Samuel uh, chapter one, let's read the story of, of where we find this woman and then let's apply her faith to our life. First Samuel one says, there was a certain man from Ramatham, a Zuphite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jehoram, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, the son of Zuph, which just sounds cool. The name Zuf sounds amazing to me. An Ephraimite. And he had two wives. One was called Hannah, the other Penina. Uh, and Penina had children, but Hannah had none. Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. And whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife, Penina, and to her, all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her. And then this is an interesting phrase. And the Lord had closed her womb. Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. And this went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and she would not eat. And her husband Elkanah would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Uh, this is the time where God's people have no clear leader king. And everyone does what they want. And you know what? The parallels are ridiculously blatant when you think about life today. Who's in charge of your world right now? The answer is you. We live in a, a day and an age where we have little respect for any authority. And if we do have respect for some authority, their authority is under my authority because I'm the king of me. And someone's like, well, is, that, is there anything wrong with that? Well, we're going to see in the Bible is when people live with themselves as king instead of God, our creator, as our leader and our guide, we get into all sorts of messes. Here's a side note. We haven't even seen Hannah's life yet. But what I love is God raises up Elkanah and a family that are faithful to God in the middle of a faithless time. This is a note for you. Uh, if you're uh, in friendship with someone and have some roommates, if you're uh, living alone and single, if you're married and have a family, if you're empty nester, wherever you're at, your faithfulness to follow Jesus, no matter what's going on around you, matters. Your faithfulness to say, God, I'm going to pursue you because you're living in a culture here where there is everyone's doing their own thing, but Elkanah and his family, they were at the time supposed to go at least once a year to a place to worship God together, to offer sacrifices for their sin, to repent before God, to be made right, to hear the word of God, and to worship and worship and worship and worship. Can I just say to you, for those of you who are watching online right now or here in the room, well done. You've obviously made time, space to be with God and his people a priority, and here's the fun part. What happens to Hannah happens out of the rhythm of living a life where worship to God matters. And that's a word to all of us. I think in this season, people uh, inadvertently have deprioritized time with God. 
I think just the, the world shifting, you know, life's out of control. I work from home and, oh man, our family's all together and school is from home and, and the world's been disrupted and it's funny to watch, but actually sad. The number of people, their vibrancy in worship and following Jesus has just waned over time. Whatever the reason. And there may be one or two or three good excuses, but you start to hear them, you realize, wow. So because all of that happened, following Jesus, pursuing him, bringing your family to the worship of God, suddenly it doesn't, it doesn't matter as much anymore what happens and God's interaction with this family happens out of the overflow. So you're day by day pursuing Jesus. You're month by month choosing to grow. You're year by year rhythm of just saying, you know what, Jesus, you matter and I love you. You never know. You never know what God's gonna do in your life. But for those who don't uh, take the time to enter in their presence, they may miss the moment. But, but, but Hannah doesn't miss it. Notice verse uh, 9. Let's just continue. And when they had finished eating and drinking, Shiloh, Hannah stood up. And now Eli the priest was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. And in her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will, I'll give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and have no razor uh, and no razor will ever uh, be used on his head. This was a vow of, of holiness, no, no drinking, no razor. Back in their time, you could do something to show your commitment to God. It was a Nazarite vow. And it was an outward sign of simply saying, you know what? Uh, for this season, for my life, I'm, I'm, I'm dedicating myself to God. So she says, if, if you give me a child, he's yours. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. You ever been in a spot where you're so desperate, it seems like you're talking and you're not even? I've, I've seen that happen where someone's just so overwhelmed, usually with heartache and sorrow, that there's prayer, but you can't even get the words out. And uh, unfortunately, here's what happens. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, how long are you gonna stay drunk? Put away your wine. Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I'm a woman who's deeply troubled. I've not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Don't take your servant for a wicked woman. I've been praying here, notice, out of my great anguish and grief. And Eli answered, go in peace. May the God of Israel grant you what you've asked to him. And she said, oh, may your servant find favor in your eyes. And then she went her way and she ate something and her face was no longer downcast. Early the next morning, they arose and worshiped before the Lord and then went back to their home in Ramah. Elkanah made love to his wife, Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. And she named him Samuel, saying, because I asked the Lord for him. So often the big thing that Jesus wants to do in our life actually comes to us in a small thing. You know, it's almost like, Jesus, if you're real, make yourself real to me. Or, Lord, will, will you just show me a sign 
of, of your realness or your love or your mercy. And what you need to do, is, this is why we look at the Bible. If you want to know how to go from season to season, from, from grief into a place of joy, uh, if you're in a, a spot right now where you feel all you see is lack to a place of abundance, if you want to see God working with you to take you out of and, and into you got to pay attention to the small things. It's the small thing here. She is having her time pouring out her heart to God in prayer. And in a little word from Eli, who happens to be a leader and happens to be there and happens to judge her wrongly, by the way. But here's this little word. May the Lord give you the desire of your heart. And it wasn't just Eli speaking out of nowhere. It was actually God speaking through Eli, confirming to Hannah that her prayers have been answered. And again, remember, even if she has the boy, which we see at the end, she does. This is not about just Hannah wanting to have a child. You say, well, one day I would like to get married. Great, God, would you provide a spouse? Or if you're married, Lord, I would like to have a kid. Or if you're just getting out of school or figuring things out, Lord, a job would be wonderful. Or I don't know if I want to live here. Lord, will you provide a place? We, we are asking for the thing, but you need to know something. The Bible gives us insight into how God works. We're asking for the thing, but God is, is always having in mind the big thing he's doing. And you, because you matter to God, you have a place. You have a spot in the big thing God is doing. You're like, well, yeah, them, not me. No, I'm talking about you. You, because you are loved, created in the image of God, your DNA was masterminded by the creator himself. You think it was mom and dad and biology. Behind all of that is the creator, God, who knows you by name. Before you were and anyone knew you, God did. And because God has his imprint on your life already, whether you're following him or not, he knows where you're going, and what he wants is to lovingly lead you. That's God's design. You say, What's God's plan for my life? I want to know God's plan. God's plan is to lovingly lead you in the way of Jesus. And when Jesus is the real leader in your life, and the forgiver, and the changer, then the little things take on massive implication. So, her asking for a child, why? Because she's in a family. In her day, unlike ours, there was a stigma. If someone can't have a child today, it's a, it's a tough thing, but it's not the end of the world for most. But socially and in their structure, it was a woman's responsibility to help in the family continuation. So, so the best thing that could happen is for a woman to have a son because the family line, it was just the culture of their day. The family line continues and this, this mattered. This was her calling as a woman and she wanted to fulfill that calling and wasn't able. And because of that, she would have felt immense shame, like embarrassment, almost what's wrong with me. And a sense of, for others, maybe Maybe this is God's doing, and maybe she's cursed. There was this, this overtone, if you did not, if you weren't able to conceive back in their day, that we can't even understand today. 
What do we learn from Hannah? There are at least three things. There's so much. I've, I just boiled it down to three that might be helpful as we think about our faith. And the first thing, and please write it down. It's going to help you. The power of pleading. The power of pleading. What is God doing right now through what's happening in your life? I think sometimes we, we misunderstand or we don't give God space because we think it's one of a few reasons. Well, God, why won't you just do this in my life? And if something doesn't go my way, I often interpret it a few different ways. One, it could be the enemy. There's an enemy that wants to steal and kill and destroy our life. And we know that all throughout the Bible. So when something happens that's wrong, is this an attack? Does God want to do good? But there's resistance from evil trying to keep God from fulfilling his plan in my life. That could be it. Um, It could be, and sometimes we underestimate this, the choices I have made. Sometimes we, we blame God for things we did. Like God said, follow me. We ignored him. We go our own way. By the way, that's the book of Judges, spirals out of control. And so sometimes we're blaming God for things like he's saying, if you would have followed me, this would have never happened. And we underestimate that. But sometimes, hear me, sometimes we get what we get right here. It says it multiple times. The Lord had done this. The Lord had, had kept her from conceiving a child. So when we are thinking about our own lives, we need to be careful that we don't blame the enemy if it's not the enemy, that we don't forget it could be me and we take personal responsibility, but other times there's just God at work. But the power of pleading, no matter which one it is, and the reason, and most of the time, by the way, you're not going to know, I'm not going to know. We're not going to know what's going on behind the scenes. But what does Hannah do? Here's what matters. She pleads with God. The Lord closed her womb, verse 6, and kept her rival kept provoking her. And, and then jump down to verse 10. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. Um, you know, what does prayer look like for you? She wanted to be a part of what God was creating. You notice that when she asked for a child, she wasn't just saying, to stop Penina from harassing me. She says, Lord, if you would give me a son, this son would be dedicated to you. What I actually want, and you get an insight in her prayer, what she wanted was, God, may your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, whatever you want to do, I, I, I don't want to miss. Right now, I'm missing on the thing that you want to do in my life, and I want what you want. That was, in a sense, her prayer. But there are prayers that we throw up for all sorts of reasons. Sometimes we pray before a meal, and that's appropriate, right? We give thanks to God. I wonder how like, deep those prayers are. Usually it's just cultural habit, honestly. Oh, don't, no, don't eat. God, we thank you for this. All right, chow down. Amen. And there's nothing wrong with talking to God in those little, little moments, but they're usually, they're usually not deep like this one. She is weeping She can't even get words out. She's seemingly talking, but there are no words to the point where the people looking around her thinks she is drunk. Imagine her her visuals when she's slurring or slobbering and tears pouring out. Have you ever been to a spot like that where you don't know what to do and you're desperate? Here's the beauty of the Bible. There is power when we plead with God. This isn't just a routine. 
And there are moments where the right thing to do is to pour out your whole soul to God. Now, here's the good news. She does it towards God and not against God. She doesn't pour out like venom and why would you and why won't you and look what I've done. She just pours out her soul. And, and there's a quote from one of the commentators, Robert Bergen, on this particular passage. I don't want to read it because it's super articulate and simple. He says, in spite of or perhaps because of Hannah's infertility, Hannah was a woman of faith. In fact, Hannah is portrayed as the most pious woman or holy in the Old Testament. Here she is shown going up to the Lord's house. No other woman in the Old Testament is mentioned doing this. In addition, Hannah is the only woman shown making and fulfilling a vow to the Lord. She's also the only woman who is specifically said to pray. Her prayer is also among the longest recorded in the Old Testament. Furthermore, her prayer includes the most recorded utterances of Yahweh, which is God's name, by a woman, which is 18 times. Just read chapter 2 of 1 Samuel, and you see this unending prayer to God. Let me just ask you, what are your deep places? What are your deep places? Can we learn from Hannah when we have just angst or anger or disappointment in our soul that we don't turn inward, right, and overanalyze, and we don't just turn to other people, will you fix this, will you fix this, will you fix this? Nothing wrong with people, I'm glad for people in my life, but turn it Godward. God is looking for us in our moments to plead with him. What are your deep places? And are you turning them to God? Because to me, that's the essence of resilient faith. It's that when I'm in trouble, I go Godward and I plead with him. Second thing I want us to see, and it's, it's right here, is the power of pain. The power, you know, pain is so powerful. When you go to the doctor or you go to the hospital, uh, what's one of the first things, if you're in pain, that they're going to tell you and, and ask you? They're going to ask you to scale it, right? On a scale of 1 to 10, how would you describe this pain? Which is a strange question because a 3 to me is not a 3 to you. But they're just trying to get a sense from your own self. And the challenge with that is, to me, if like, I just like, clip my nail wrong, that's like a nine. Like I'm not, I'm not, I don't have pain tolerance. Maybe you have lots of it. I don't have it. But, but the doctors, to evaluate, they ask you about your pain. And notice what Hannah says, end of verse uh, six, uh, 15. I'm a woman who's deeply troubled. I haven't been drinking wine or beer. I'm pouring my soul to the Lord. Don't take your servant to be a, a wicked woman. I've been praying out of great anguish. There is power in our pain. Now, I want you to hear me clearly. Following Jesus does not lead to an absence of pain. As a matter of fact, quite the opposite. Jesus said clearly to his followers, in this world, you will have what? Trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. In other words, your trouble might be big, but my power is bigger. And in the same way, when you think about God and, and Hannah, her inability seemed huge. Her pain point was huge, but God's ability was greater. And we see it because uh, within a short time, God's faithful and, and she ends up having this child. Pain is real and pain while not pleasant at the time, could actually be a gift. Uh, just medically speaking, if you didn't have pain, you wouldn't know what's really going on, would you? I think most of us would never get a checkup 
if we didn't have a pain, if you, if you didn't have a small pain, is an indicator something's going on, right? And so pain can be useful. And I think in life, forgetting about physical for a moment, but in what you're going through, this pain that you're feeling does not have to be wasted. You know, God never wastes our moments of pain. He actually wants to use them as tools for us to see how good and loving he is. And so what does Hannah do? She turns her pain into prayer. She turns her pain into pleading. She, she turns her pain and her anguish back to God, and, and there she is heard. So, okay, what are your, what are your pain points, and how are, we, how are we turning them over? What does it look like for you to take what's going on in your world and really give that to God? I don't know exactly what that's going to look like for you, but I do see it's the key for her to making it through her barrenness and end up living this life of blessing where, by the way, you keep reading, God not only gives her a son, but gives her children afterwards. What she asked for with one, God did in abundance. God did above what she could ever ask or imagine. So in Hannah, we see the power when we plead. We see the power of our pain when our pain is we don't just sit in it, but we turn it Godward. Finally, the third, I want us to see the power of promise. The end of the story and the beginning, really, of Samuel's life and, and the changing of the season from the judges to the king and the king pointing the world towards Jesus is in, in what God promised. End of verse 19, the Lord remembered her. Um, by the way, we already know this, but it's going to be reminded, the turnaround in, in our life is not us. <laughs> like, you're not going to turn your life around. Um, no, what you could do is you could turn your life over to the leadership of God. You could turn your life over to the goodness of Jesus. You could turn your mind over to the truth of the word of God, and that will change your circumstance. But it's not you changing. I change the direction of what I'm viewing but it's actually God that does the changing. Verse 20, in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant. She could not, but she could because of God. And I, I want us to remember that it's the promises of God. God gives Hannah what she asked for, and, and hear this. She actually fulfilled the vow that she had made to God. I think sometimes... And it shows the nature of what we're really seeking. You know, God, if you would do this for me, man, I would do this for you. Ever pray that direction? I know I honestly have. Lord, if you would just, if you would just step in and do this, then I would do that. Well, I think half the time we have good intentions, but we actually don't. <laughs> we don't. Because so often God does answer us, and then we go on squirrel. And we, and we go on, and we just go off. But the beauty of her life, and I think the reason that God could trust this, this beautiful woman is, what does she do? You keep reading for Samuel, and when this child is born, she sees this as a gift from God, and she weans him and grows him and has him in her house for the first three years, but then he's brought to the house of God, and he's brought to be raised in the presence of God, and she is, she's faithful with God's promise in her life. It's interesting. 
God's promise is given to her first. It's by grace that you have been saved through faith. And it is not of works. It's the gift of God so that nobody could boast. Nobody here could boast in a closeness with Jesus if it weren't for Jesus loving you. So, so God first gives us the promise. I love you. He sends his son. Jesus dies and rises again to pay our sin debt in full. He's alive. He sends the Holy Spirit. He's like, you can be a part of my family. It starts with God. It does not start with us. But it is beautiful when you have a woman like this who when she receives the promises of God, she lives into it, right? And so as we plead and as we wrestle through our seasons of pain and suffering, I think the beauty of a resilient faith is when, when God comes through that we are there with him for the long haul and that is the story of her life. Okay, that's Hannah, but now what about you? What about me? What about us as a church? Life can be so unfair. Would you agree? Life is not fair. And I think when you're really, really young and you're idealistic, you have this notion that my life should be fair. And for whatever reason, the longer you live, the more you're going to realize there are things that are going to happen to you or that you're going to end up doing that are very, very, very off course. And life just isn't fair. And I hate to say, I hate to be a downer on a Sunday, but you will not even always know why life does not make sense. There are going to be some unknowns that you will, you will go to your grave saying, I, I, one day when I talk to Jesus, we're going to have a convo about this. Because this just didn't make sense. Now, so often, the challenge with that, because we have limited knowledge, limited part, limited wisdom, is we can fail to connect the dots. And here's what I want us to do to see in Hannah. In Hannah, we see the big picture of God connecting the dots of doing his beautiful work and rescuing the world and in Jesus. Hannah didn't get that. She just asked for a son. <laughs> she, she didn't get that. But yet... When you live a life that's faithful to Jesus, not perfect, but faithful to following Jesus, what you're going to find is in the big picture, God is going to do way more than you could ever ask or imagine or think. God's going to use you in ways that you're going to be blown away by. It may not seem obvious at the time, and, and maybe we don't get a record of all that Hannah knew by the time she went on to eternity, but here's what we do know. We learn it from her, and we learn it from other people in Scripture. Pleading with God matters. So the word is press in. Don't give up. You say, well, it hasn't happened yet. It didn't happen for her. Year after year after year after year after year, she did the same old thing, and she kept pleading with God. And you say, well, was God just like being mean to let her do that? No. God in his wisdom was bringing her to a place of utter dependency on him. And you know what? If that's what it takes then God is good. He's not bad. He's not mean. He's good because he leads us in a way that forces us to deal with our inability to lead ourselves. And we see that in Hannah. We know that God never wastes pain. Her years of suffering are eclipsed by the glory of being used by God. And the same could be said for you. Don't, don't waste your own pain. Press into God. Bring that to him. Because in the big picture of your life, you never know what God will do. And the final thing is that God's promises never fail. They never, ever fail. My promises fail all the time. 
but we can lean in on a God who keeps his promises. And how do we know God keeps his promises? For God loved the world so much that he sent his one and only son. That's how we know. Even though God should have rejected us a long time ago. Look, if you're looking at a, a record and you look at the record of your life, God should not love you. <laughs> like, think of the trail of your life. Uh, compared to the glory of how good God is, he shouldn't love anyone, but he does. And so his promises are true. And the beauty is right after this event in, in chapter two, we won't read it, but do it when you go home. It ends up being a prayer of praise to God. When, when God comes through, Hannah can't help but praise God. And, and that's why in our church, what we do is we start, we we. We sing to warm our hearts, and then we hear the truth of the Bible, and then we sing again. Why? Because hearing things that are true, the faithfulness of God, should stir up praise in our soul. And so we're going to do that right now. Why don't you stand to your feet if you would? And like Hannah, we want to turn our stuff over to God. Like Hannah, we want to present our pain and our struggles to God. You may be walking through all sorts of stuff right now. Could I just say to you in Jesus' name, it's okay to walk in with stuff and burdens and struggles and thoughts. Just turn those to God. This is our opportunity to be in the presence like she was worshiping at Shiloh. And here in the spot, God met her and God can meet you in the person of Jesus if you will turn to him. And so let's uh, pray and let's plead. And then in a moment, we'll come back and we'll take the bread and the cup, which remind us of God's great love in Jesus. You say, well, I don't know if God's promised me anything. Look, he's promised to rescue you if you turn to Jesus. He's promised that. And you could bank on that promise if you lay hold of it and claim it as your own. Lord, we are filled with burdens. Lord, we're filled with confusion at times. Lord, we're filled with grief. Lord, collectively as a people, after all that's happened in the last year and a half, we're weary. But thank you for the gift of your daughter, Hannah, and her persistence to pursue you and your goodness in her life. And now we're asking you, God, do it again in us as a people, as a church, and in our own lives and families. We pray your kingdom come, your will be done here in our world, on the earth as it is in heaven, we pray in Jesus' name. Let's uh, respond with singing and communion in just a few moments.